This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Daniel Henderson. And we are here on the holiest of months to talk about the religion of film. Oh, that was a good one. Really? <laughs> yeah, I like that. Wow. I was like, oh shit, she said holy, where is this going? Religion <laughs> of film, I like it. Listen, I am truly phoning them in. 11 out of 12 months of the year, and I don't know. This month, it felt like I needed to do something, something epic, so. Succeed. Succeeded. Well, well, first of all, let me me apologize up top. I have a little bit of a cold, so just wanted to let everybody know in case they thought I was sounding extra nasally. Extra nasally than I was doing. I feel bad that you're you're recording while (laughs) you have a cold. Look, this is this time of year. I feel like last year... This this happened. I think if we go back and we listen to the December episodes of last year, I think one or both of us were sick. Yeah, so. probably. This is usually the time when I'm most likely to get uh, a cold or something. Yeah. But I've been keeping it locked down. I I talked to someone recently who was like, who who was talking to me in a way that like they thought I was a normal person who went out all the time, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh no, I don't leave my house. And she was like, what? Like, oh no, I'm still like the only person in America locking down. (laughs) Like it's it's a psychological issue at this point for me. (laughs) Yeah. Right. No, I feel I feel that way too. Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough because like so many people are out there, like it's it's over. Like it like I know that we don't think it's over, but it's over. I mean, period. Like no one given no one gives a fuck anymore. Business as usual. So uh, at any rate. What what is your what is your news? I feel bad. Well, especially no, it's okay. But this time of year, especially, I feel like I don't even want to get a cold, so I'm still going to wear a mask. Like I I wear a mask because I don't want to get sick at all. Like you can say what you will about COVID, but like I don't want your fucking germs. I'm oh, never yeah. raw dog in public air again. Oh yeah, especially like travel air. Fuck that. Yeah. Like Fuck that. When I went on that cruise a few weeks ago, you know, I was like, I'm still wearing this mask on a plane. Are you kidding? Like hell yeah. No way I'm not. So hell yeah. But yeah, I just I um we forgot collectively to acknowledge that we had an anniversary for the pod back in oh. November. Oh. <laughs> like a month ago we had our second anniversary for the for the podcast. Oh shit. So happy anniversary. <laughs> hey. <laughs> happy two year anniversary. Can you believe we've been doing this for two years? Can you believe we already forgot after the first year? Like, oh, we already absolutely. forgot the anniversary after the first year. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I know how I am in all relationships. I'm not the remember the date person. <laughs> I'm like, when's your birthday? And they're like, like my ex-husband would be like, we've been married for like seven years. What are you talking about? <laughs> 
Like, when's our when's our wedding anniversary? We got married on Halloween, so I would remember the date. Yeah. Do you remember? I mean, the only thing I really remember about starting the podcast is that I was at my parents' house. I was in their guest bedroom and that we were really worried that like Trump was going to get reelected. And those are the only two facts that I remember because we white knuckled that shit. For real. Oh, God. I know. It was, it was just, it, there was a lot going on in November. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it doesn't make sense to me that we, we, uh, you know, we're kind of concerned about other things and forgot our little, our uh, our date, our anniversary date. But it was, it's cool. I just, I'm, I'm very excited. And it made me think of it. What made me think of it is that I've been watching. Um, I've been kind of holed up for the last week or so, watching just a bunch of uh, like interviews and like film related interviews. And you know how on the Criterion Channel they have a bunch of, um, like they talk to a bunch of creators and. Yeah, you know, kind of, kind of, and then there was a podcast I listened to because my favorite, or a, a director I really, really love was going to be on it. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching these things and I'm listening to these things and I'm just like, thank God for me and Millie because when I listen to people talk about film, sometimes I'm like, it's just two white men shouting movie titles at each other. Like yes. I can't, can't get into it. And I'm like, as much as I enjoy this creator or I enjoy this person, like. This is just two white men sitting in a room being like, what about this movie? What about that movie? What about, like, just trying to one-up each other on knowledge? And I'm like, what am I getting from this? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. So thank God for us, because I really love being able to talk about movies in in an accessible way. No, dude, thank you for saying that. I mean, I, I, thank God for you. Forget me. Thank God for you. Because honestly, like, you know, I've been in this game for a long time. I have been on many other different film podcasts. And, you know, I know a lot of good people doing a lot of good stuff. Don't get me wrong. But I will say, like, generally, not just in the podcast world, but, like, in everything, in any kind of, like, film corner, you know. Um, I have I have had a lot of, like... I, I had to present, like, mostly to a serious side, right? right? And that's fine. I can do that. I can speak academically towards film or factually towards film. And that's fun to a certain degree, but it's not as fun as like talking to you. Cause honestly right. you accept my bullshit. Um, and any kind of weird inroad into a movie that I think of, like if I'm just sitting there being like, this is a weird character, this is a weird plot point. Yeah. And I can bring that to the podcast and talk to you about it. And you totally accept not only accept it, but a lot of times you laugh at it, which makes me feel very good. <laughs> so I am here for it. No, I, I just appreciate it's really hard to find that kind of rapport with somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're like the person that I'm able to like really get down to my fucking brass tacks with shit about. And I just really appreciate that. So well, thank you. And I feel the same because I feel like I can bring my whole self to this podcast where I don't have to be strictly academic and I don't have to be strictly one way. Yeah. And that's a lot of the way that the business still persists. And I kept, I, it really made me wonder because I watched a lot. I was just watching a bunch of stuff on the Criterion channel, um, and which I love. Like, I love Criterion channel. And I think that 
it's wonderful to see so many creators and see them talk to so many different people. And even though I can get there, like I can talk that talk and be that person just shouting titles back and forth with the white guy in a room. Like I get it, but it doesn't make me feel anything. (laughs) So I feel like it's when you're able to bring your whole self to a podcast and feel like you're talking to a human being, um, there's just a different level to it, a different edge to it. And I just really love that. Like, I love that I don't have to be pure. Like, again, I know we both can do that, but I'm glad we choose not to. Um, Because I don't think that's what makes me love film. It's just like the robotics of it. And this this is something that I got from listening to this podcast with this director that I like. And this is more on the podcast host than the director. But there's like an unconscionable lack of humanity in most film discussions. Yeah. Um, So the podcast host brought up the fact that they're like, oh, Woody Allen was one of your influences. Um, and to the director's credit, he was like, no, actually, like, you know, I gave them a whole list of things and that's the one they chose, you know, because they said I couldn't pick the other ones because somebody else had already taken those. Um, mm. But the podcast host just like breezed right over it. They're like, oh, yeah, we love him and like breezed over. And I'm like, can we not acknowledge the fact that he's a fucking creep? Like, <laughs> like there's something about... Like, and I find this with men and particularly with white men in the film community where they're so intent upon holding on to the things they love that they forget their fucking humanity and they forget to look at the macro of the situation because like, I just want to keep loving this movie. What's the problem with that? There's a huge problem with that. He's a fucking creep. He married his stepdaughter. Dude's a fucking creep. Like, let's not love his movies anymore (laughs) like maybe it's okay and i know that's a huge a much 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 bigger discussion to have but when i listen to podcasts with these guys and i'm like they won't even address it they're just like yeah yeah woody allen love him like robot voice like one track mind like yep love him he's the best he's he's also an influence for us we love him let's move on and i'm like come on man (laughs) well and i think a lot of times you know there maybe is a segment of maybe just academia in general, but speaking to things academically or like divorcing the emotion from something makes it serious. That makes it, you know, I don't know, like it gives it gravitas or something. Yeah. And I don't think you and I believe that at all. I think that you can speak to things emotionally and speak about things emotionally and have intelligence and still be succinct and smart about it absolutely um if it's out there talk about it you know if it makes sense to so yeah we and we talked about that a lot in the intro to you know the clockwork orange episode like the difficult movie episode and i think we've done that where i've i've you know brought films to the podcast that i'm like oh it's made by this person and i didn't know this about them but like jean-luc basson has been accused of you know sexual sexually inappropriate behavior like just talk about it <laughs> like yeah. there's not i think woody allen for me is a very specific case like i'm fine I, to bring like other people into the conversation to be like this could be difficult or this is what we kind of know about them woody allen to me is just a clear-cut specific very different case like he does not deserve our kindness he does not deserve our um respect he does not deserve our uh, continued support of his fucking work like, he is a very different, like, completely separate case to me from, like, oh, yeah, these other guys might kind of be shitheads in certain ways. Like, he's just a criminally um, suspect person to me forever. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's really tough. Really tough, because 
I grew up watching his films, much like and and this is there are there's people out there who have written about this very notion and could speak to it way better than me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like to get back to the point though about this podcast and what we're doing as friends, really, um, is that we're kind of giving each other the space to just be and express the things that we want to express. And it doesn't feel like we have to come with any kind of agenda or any kind of like, I mean, I, I feel like a personal pressure, I think, just because I, this is like my career to, you know, tr try to not be a complete fucking moron, but that is impossible. Like, I will listen back to episodes like in our edits and be like, I am smart about movies, right? I'm not just cussing. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not just... Well, no, you are. But that, but that is the difference. Is that it's, it's not. It's what you said. It's like I, you know, we don't need to. I don't need to repeat it. But it's what you said. Where it's not. You've been taught in your professional life that you have to talk about movies in a very specific way, and we do it in a different way. So I'm sure it feels out of place sometimes for you, but it doesn't make it any less valid. Yeah, and I mean, and again, a lot of this is is me having to kind of work it out with myself because as as women I think we always have that pressure to be more and better because people don't want us to succeed and people yeah. will automatically think we're idiots about anything even if you've been working in the field for 20 years even if you're like an authority mm -hmm. in your field like people will always find a way to like invalidate your knowledge Yep. And, you know, when you're just somebody that's fought so hard to, for a place in that, to say, like, you know, I'm, I can speak to this topic. Like, I have put in the fucking hours and put in the work. Exactly. You know, I get to now show it off a little bit. That was hard for me to come to that point. And because so, so much of my life was spent, like, working for men and being mm -hmm. in the shadows of men and learning from men, all fine and good. But at a certain point, I had to, like, figure out a way to, like, make that click for myself to be like, well, I'm not just going to sit back and be the student. I could maybe be the teacher a little bit. Yeah. So a lot of it is my own coming to the podcast. I have that pressure on myself. And I have to sometimes sit back and be like, okay, it's not a big deal. Like, nobody's going to disrespect you because you're talking about butthole eyes today. <laughs> like, it's not, you know, you're not, like, less of a film historian or film writer or film programmer if you talk about films in ways that are fun and funny to you and your friend. So, yeah, you know. not at all. Not at all. I think it's it's something that I wrestled with a lot when I was in academia, and I think that that level of knowledge, to, for me, personally, that level of knowledge is only useful if I can use it to talk to the wider world. Like, if I can only talk to five people who are in that field, then it's not useful knowledge to me. Because I don't want to spend my life talking to five people. I want to talk to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that that's, that's something that is a different shade of what we normally see in those those circles. But I think it's, I can't help but be that way. I wish I only liked Eric Romer movies and I didn't like Italian cannibal films, right? Nobody wants to hang out with that person, though. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> nobody wants to talk to that person. That's why they only talk to that person at work. Because in a normal setting, like, that's not a fun conversation. Talk about fucking Eric Romer movies at the car wash. 
Like, I want to hear about the Italian cannibal movies when I'm hanging out at dinner. <laughs> well, and I just feel like, in a weird way, I'm like, well, I I feel like I can do it. I can be a man who can do both. Like, I feel yeah. like I can be, like, high and low, you know? Um, I can, like, pretentious, fucking artsy, fartsy stuff. And I can, like, really depraved, weird things at the same time. Yeah. But... You know, there's always a pressure. And I think, it, again, like a lot of it, it, it really does boil back to like high school and that kind of like the social world of the thing that you're in. And you're just feeling mm-hmm. this pressure to be like, well, God, I wish I was more refined. I wish, you know, I mean, at the same time, I'm sitting here going like, I mean, I'm not like a complete pig. I <laughs> I, no. can present, I can present film and not be a total freak, but it's just that that thing of, of, getting in your head about it too much. But that's why I'm, like, so thankful, again, to talk to you about movies because you're just that person that is really perfect. You can you can do it bo- both ways. And you, and you accept me and you don't think any less of me when I, you know, dip into the weirder side, so. Hell no. No, I think it's, it's useful. It's, it's wonderful and it's funny and it's exactly, again, bringing our whole selves to, to the pod and... I just love doing it. So happy anniversary to us. And I think it's it's just really cool that we get the chance to keep doing this. Yeah. Um, and that well, people are liking it. Well, and I want to ask you then, is there anything that has changed for you after the first year? Like, have you come to movies differently? Have you come to doing this podcast differently, you know, now versus when we started? After the second year? Did I say first we year? Doing this- We've been doing this for two years, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the I first hate, year... For- I hate to break it to you. <laughs> wow. I've, I've completely lost my marbles. But you know what I mean? Like, is there anything different versus back then, two years ago, and now for you? After doing it for two years, I guess. I don't know, because I've been pretty comfortable from the beginning with the whole concept of what we're doing. But yeah. I think that I just really... I, I engage more with and I really appreciate the ways that you open up my eyes to film and then I'm watching different things and I'm watching things that I've never watched and I'm watching things that I'm seeing in just like a new light. Um, so that part I, I love. I always love that. I love being able to just be like, oh my God, like listening to you break down a movie um, is always exciting and fun and cool and and it just makes me like the world of film that much more. So yeah. What about you? Well, yeah, two things. <laughs> Number one, now I watch movies with subtitles all the time. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, it ah! used to be like I never did. But since we watch so many movies for the podcast, on top of all the other movies that I have to watch for my job, I'm like, I got no time. No time to slack. Put on the exactly. subtitles. I got to stay engaged. I am. I want to know every fucking word that's being said. That was not the case before we started that podcast. I will tell you that right now. Right. Um. So subtitles all the time. And two, now I watch movies from the 2000s and and later. So that's yeah. because of you. <laughs> <laughs> Jumped right into this millennium. That's awesome. <laughs> I know. And, like, and I find myself too, I, we've joked about this before where I was like, Bitch, if there is an A24 logo or a neon logo, it is a Danielle movie through and through. Fucking tuck in. (laughs) I know, and now I'm like, yo, what's coming out on those? What's their slate looking like? 
<laughs> I know. I Maybe I need I to be paying attention to what their new releases are now. Because <laughs> you're going to be watching them in the next few years. Oh, my By the time God, this podcast bet. ends, you're going to be watching all that whole A24 neon slate. I mean, oh I, I, I saw Holy Spider because yeah. of Border, which you made me watch. <laughs> and it was so funny because one of the... um. One of the distributors for the movie actually contacted me because we know each other through TCM. And he was like, have you seen Holy Spider yet? And I was like, uh, yes, I have. Because Danielle made me watch Border. And he was like, I'm very shocked by that. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> that would have never happened if it had oh, been for God. you. So. That's, I take it, is incredible. It's an honor. <laughs> <laughs> We still have people sending us emails and writing comments about Border. Like, I am happy to bring... If I'm the conduit to bringing people to that film, I'm fucking happy to do it. Oh, yeah. Happy to do it. I think one of my friends, Michael, very recently, in the past couple weeks, he texted me because I think he was flying... He flies a lot to Asia for his job, and I think he watched Border on his flight to Vietnam, and he was, like, in midair being like, what am I watching? What am I watching? (laughs) He listens to the podcast, so... I'm not, I mean, he he knows exactly where he heard about that fucking movie. Let's just get serious. Oh, shit. He's like, um, this is not sexy living in midair. This is <laughs> what the fucking in midair. <laughs> this is uh, eating maggots in midair for sure. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I will say that has changed about how I watch films since we started the podcast is that for most of my movie watching experience for the podcast, I used to watch like one and one, like I'd spread it out a couple of days. For some reason, for the past like year or so, I've really been doing a true double feature. Like I've been yeah. watching both both films back to back and setting time aside to do that. And the thing that's different now, I'm a morning movie watcher. Yeah, I'm not saving them for nighttime. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you kind of have to. If you if you watch a lot of movies for a job or whatever, you kind of have to watch them during the morning hours because where the yeah. fuck else are you going to find the time? I mean... Absolutely. So. It's completely changed my life to be like, I wake up, I have a cup of coffee, and I watch a movie. Yeah. Oh, to- totally. It's kind of peaceful. But to your other point about the double feature thing, like, I mean, yeah, I, I like to watch our double features that way, too. Um, and that, yeah. I wasn't doing that at the very beginning. So, yeah. Yeah, me either. It's been great. It's been so wonderful. And just so much fun. I just, I think when I watch them that way, when I watch them in that back-to-back true double feature way, it makes me laugh so much to think about, like, how we're connecting the films. Yeah, totally. totally. Like, there are just some weeks where I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pivot from Home Alone to this. Like. I know. I was about to say, are we transitioning into our theme now? Because oh, that we, is the exact point I was going to make. <laughs> yeah, we absolutely should. But <laughs> happy belated anniversary. And uh, yeah, let's get into our goddamn theme. Well, I think you probably know um, because we've done it for two years. Is this the second year? This is the third no. time we're the doing... The third time! Okay, I've lost it. I, I can't count time anymore. We're into our third year. We've done two full years of this pod. Okay, so we're in our, into our third year, so this means this is the third occurrence of our theme this week, which is called Christmas Assholes. Pew, 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 pew! Pew, 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 pew. We 
have been doing this for a while. We love it. And it's now, I guess, a tradition. We'll try to keep it going as long as we can. But I am excited about this week because (laughs) our movies are so different. And somehow, somehow, I have found new inroads into your film this week. Even though I've seen it probably about 47, 48 times in my life. And it comes on TV all the time now. (laughs) Same. But... And your film is definitely like a Sundays with Grandpa film for me. (laughs) Yes. And when I was younger and watching this with my grandparents, and they'd be like, oh, this is a good picture. I remember being like, what the fuck is going on? And as an adult (laughs) watching it, I also found different inroads into it. But I've seen it so many times, and I feel like this is the first time I've watched it intentionally as an adult on my own terms. I'm going to say this right now, and and maybe I'm going to lose my film cred badge for this. Um... You know, the entire first part of our podcast is invalidated now because I'm about to say this. My movie this week is one of those films that is talked about a lot. For some reason, we all decided that 70s movies were really important. Yeah. Um, And I believe that to be true, like 98% of the time. Like, I think, oh, yeah, the 70s, incredible filmmaking. It was like, you know, the new American cinema. It was, you know, we just came off of the studio era. We had a lot of, like, great, interesting directors. It was gritty. Obviously, like, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of big directors came out of that era, like Scorsese and, you know, et cetera. But so this is a, my movie this week is one of those movies that I had always heard about being this like really important 70s film. And I'm just like, are you kidding? Because it's. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry to say it, folks, but <laughs> no, movie I, I, is not I don't as think good as everybody has told me it was for years. I, yeah, I don't think you're wrong because I'm like, the fuck is even in the film? They're like, what is happening? Like when the film itself is asking, what are we doing here? You have to question, is this like an Emperor's New Clothes situation where people are telling me it's brilliant because they don't fucking understand it? (laughs) Or is it actually brilliant? (laughs) Well, did we have that one episode a while back where I told you that I get pissed off when a movie is intentionally confusing because I feel like... Well, I'm smart, and this this movie's being intentionally confusing, and if you're confusing me, then you're an asshole. Like, I feel, like, personally slighted when a movie is too confusing for me to figure out. And- yeah, well, put it this way. I watched and followed Donnie Darko, and that movie <laughs> was literally a snake eating its own fucking tail. If I can watch a movie like that and follow it, and then a movie like this is like, what? There's something going on that's lost in translation of the making of the film. And I yeah. think that it's like... There, there is an, another film I watched uh, this week separate from the pod, but I had the same feeling where I was like, I feel like you're trying to do too much razzle-dazzle, like sleight of hand over here to make me think this movie is interesting and cool, and it's actually just a mess. <laughs> yes. I mean, dare, dare I say that there are moments where my movie is more confusing than Zardoz, where at this point I feel like I understand Zardoz like specifically clear, you know. <laughs> Zardoz so. is a straight narrative compared to this film. <laughs> yeah, and and to be honest with you, I've only seen it one other time, right? And and so I haven't seen it over and over like I probably should have. And maybe I'll give it another go. But honestly, I mean, we'll get to it. We're, we'll get to it. But we will get to it. 
Honestly, this this theme is our one of our faves. Like I said, we do it for the holidays every year. It's fun to figure out who the asshole is, and I can't wait for you to tell me. Oh, I'm going to jump right in, and let me tell you that the one thing I love about this theme, there are a couple of themes that, recurring themes that we do that I love for one particular reason, and it's because I get a chance to take down a classic. Yes! <laughs> so I love when the comments for the week before are like, oh my God, you're going to do my favorite movie, and I'm like, hang the fuck on, because I'm not going to do it in your favorite way. <laughs> Listen, you took down When Harry Met Sally. Let's take down another sacred cow. Let's shoot it in between the eyes. Let's do it. This film (laughs) was released in 1990. It was written by John Hughes, who we've talked about tremendously on this podcast. Directed by Chris Columbus. This movie is inescapable for the holidays. And it's Home Alone. Are you here all alone? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. Now, I, w- I will say, <laughs> in my rewatching of it, I found it delightful, and it was very funny. And John Hughes, again, who we've talked about a lot um, in the past on this pod, particularly in the She's Having a Baby episode, um, mm-hmm. he's a great screenwriter. He always centers Chicago as, like, his home base. So um, Chicago in the Christmas time is a great place to to put this film. Um, the cast is awesome. I, I feel bad talking about the movie because it kind of both launched Macaulay Culkin's career and ruined his fucking life for a long time. Sure. Um, so I feel bad for that, but he's awesome in this movie. We've got Joe Pe- casting. Casting Joe Pesci was a, just an inspired move. Joe Pesci and Daniel mm-hmm. Stern are awesome. John Hurd, rest in peace. Um, Catherine O'Hara is Kate, the mom. It's just It's just a great... A great cast. John Candy, rest in peace. Oh, oh my God. Michael Morona from the, the Adventures of Pete and Pete. I mean, come on. Like this. And and tiny baby Kieran Culkin looking like that fucking Six Flags guy. He was dressed like <laughs> <laughs> the inspiration for that old Six Flags bow tie wearing motherfucker. Decades Fuller before who wets the time. bed. <laughs> Fuller wets the bed would be such a good band name. Oh, yeah. If it hasn't been already, we should start a band called Fuller What's the Bed. But it's just great. It's a delightful movie. I can see how it became an instant classic. I remember loving it when it came out. I've seen it countless times. Um, For sure. And I don't think I need to give a one-sentence synopsis, but I will, just in case we have any, like, eight-year-olds listening to this who haven't seen the movie yet. <laughs> we have eight-year-olds listening. That would be horrifying, but it, Yeah, I, I would crawl, I would walk into the ocean if we had about an eight-year-old <laughs> listening to this. But my one-sentence synopsis is, um, a stressed-out Chicago family forgets to bring their youngest child on vacation after oversleeping and almost missing their flight to Paris for Christmas break, giving career criminals an opportunity to case their house. So Perfect. that's kind of the premise. It's like you, you're, you're introduced into the, the madness as soon as the movie starts. Like there's the McAllister family is in their home with, you know, the, the dad's brother is there with all of his kids. There's just like 19 kids there and like these stressed out parents and it's chaos. And Joe Pesci is kind of standing there dressed like a cop and he's clearly casing the joint. But it's such madness in the house that nobody can really focus on him. Mm-hmm. And that's how they plan their their heist. And I got to say, the Christmas assholes in this film for me are not the the criminals. It's not the wet bandits. 
Sure. I think they're, I, they're taking advantage of an opportunity. I would not want them to do that to my house, but they're just taking advantage of an up fucking opportunity. And these people don't have a security system. And that's a big fuck. Like, you can't just turn on lights when you leave. <laughs> like, people are, you have to be in the mindset that people are going to try to get into your shit and do a little bit, like, have a house sitter. Have somebody, like, around. Um, Have a security system. But they don't. They're like, we've got a timer for a couple of lights, so we'll be cool. Um, Let me, I want to talk to you about this house, too. Yeah. Just a little bit. This house is massive. Okay. How fucking rich are these folks to afford this house? I mean, first of all, if you have five kids, period, you got to be rolling in some kind of jail. And you're going to to Paris for Christmas? Yes. So... I don't think it's ever revealed what the parents do for a living. All I know is that this time around, for some reason, I noticed that there was a lot of dress forms Mm -hmm. and a lot of, like, sewing materials all over the house. And I'm like, is Catherine O'Hara a fashion designer? Does she fucking create fashions for Jay Jill? I don't know. She brings the energy to me of a marketing executive who sews in her part-time because she was kind of raised on home ec. So she thinks that's she thinks that sewing is gonna chill her out, but then she just ends up making like really stressed out pillows. <laughs> stressed. <laughs> stressed out pillows. Like these pillows I... are looking stressed. It's a manifestation of her fucking emotions. Oh, I know exactly what the fuck you're talking about because there's nothing worse than like going into someone's home. Someone's mom is crafty as fuck, and that shit looks a mess. And you're like, "What is happening in this house? You're like, Why is this macrame going up the wall and around the corner? Who is unhappy here?" <laughs> ah, unhappy macrame, another great band name. <laughs> And such a fucking vibe. Unhappy macrame. And you're like, wow, you're really going through. Like you, when you can tell someone's going through it because you're like, you yeah. don't know what to do with your hands or your mind. Yeah. And now your whole house <laughs> is suffering because of it. But that's the vibe I get from Kate. And and Pops, I feel like he just gives me, and this is maybe short-sighted on my part, but Peter just gives me like oblivious Wall Street dude. Yeah. Oh, t- totally. And, and, and it, like, their house, too, it is ginormous. I mean, they have so many bedrooms, so many sections of the house. And then it also has this decor that mm-hmm. this shit brings me back to middle school, basically. Because I had a friend whose mom had that exact same decor. I mean, it was, like, hunter uh, green uh. with, like, plaids and fucking, like, weird sconces and like everything looked like it was like a hunter's paradise or so i don't know what what is the style of this house it's like weird traditional but also like looks very like i don't know like where hunters would hang out to before after the fox hunt like what is this house style it is it is new england wasp comfort they yes. think they're doing comfort, but it's so fucking stuffy. It's yeah. like the equivalent of the southern bathroom with the curtain, like the full curtains <laughs> and the fucking... Like, that is the New England... Like, that northern equivalent of that is that they think they're being chill and that they have a very cozy, homey vibe. And then you look at their 
fucking blood red chintz curtains. Yeah. With a fucking plaid sash. And you're like, this is not chill. Like your stressed out <laughs> pillows, your unhappy macrame, and your fucking sh- fucking oppressive plaid is not chill. Yeah, they have like red velvet ribbon toilet shams as opposed to yes. <laughs> the trashy yellow and white ones that we had in the South. So completely. It's like they're, we're trying to telegraph that we're chill, but we are absolutely not chill. And there are rooms you can't sit in. There are things you can't even touch in our house. It is not chill at all. And yeah. it's also the vibe I get too is that like Peter is very old money. Like I feel like he's like a like a North Shore kind of old money family. Put it this way. When I watched the movie this time, I could absolutely see a world where Peter was a date rapist in college. Ooh. Like a <laughs> drunk frat boy date rapist. <laughs> Because then you got Frank, his brother. And we're going to talk about Uncle Frank, his brother. But I'm going to get the two of them together. Somebody, there was some real Chappaquiddick shit happening here. Like they either date raped (laughs) or they murdered people in their fucking car because they were drunk. I get a real Chappaquiddick vibe from this fucking family this time around. Okay. You have established a theory that the McAllister men are all date rapists. (laughs) This is a holiday classic, and already, right out the gate, you come in with your with your fire stick. Tell me, Buzz. I'm, tell me, Buzz isn't already on his way. Buzz is either <laughs> going to be a fucking rapist or a murderer or a both. Okay, I'm sorry I keep sidetracking you, <laughs> but it has to be said again. This movie, every time I watch it, something else pops out at me, and this time it was Buzz's bedroom, mm-hmm. where I was like. Remember when boys would have basically like bikini women posters on their walls and how fucking weird that is to think about now? Yes. Yes. Like fucking Sports Illustrated spreads and just like, but beyond that, like Sports Illustrated is tame compared to what is going on in these, this bedroom and like this style of bedroom at this time. It's like you, it's like you go down to the fucking Jersey Shore and you're like, give me a poster with like, your most oiled up woman in the least amount of clothing. And I'm yeah. 10 and I'm going to put that on my wall and my parents are going to be like, totally fine. This is why people constantly question whether the straights are okay. Because like, <laughs> that should not be fine. <laughs> I have to say, if I, if my my nephews had just posters, like 24 by 18 inch posters from Spencer's gifts or whatever of like hot people that aren't famous but they're just hot I would be like what the fuck is this like why is this what are you just into hotness like you're not into like a celebrity you're not into like a specific model no you're just into people in bathing suits like (laughs) I don't understand why that used to happen Serial killer so. territory. I'm telling you, the McAllister men are fucked. <laughs> they are fucked. In this viewing, I was like, I don't know. I don't know about these dudes. This is like the prototypical, like, I don't know if you watch the TV show You, but I'm like, I feel like this, the the whole TV series You could take place in this house. Just the house, not even the town. <laughs> Just in the house. Somebody, that base, and look, Kevin is already freaked out about that basement. 
And I'm telling you, people, there are bones in that basement. The McAllister men are up to some fucking shit. You, there would be like a Hammer family style documentary about the fucking <laughs> McAllister men so quick. Let's get serious. Part one of taking down this fucking Christmas classic. You'll never look at it the same way again. You'll never look at it the same way again. We are being canceled as we speak. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying that was my whole vibe. So this, this is a stressed out family. They got <laughs> secrets to hide. They got men to protect. <laughs> it's no wonder they left their youngest child behind after punishing him the night before their trip. After the whole family, the whole family, the first instinct of like ever, who's a Christmas asshole? You're going to be like, well, the whole fucking family, because they all say the shittiest things to Kevin. Like, this, the, they're just, they hate this little kid. They're like, you can't do anything. You can't tie your shoes. You can't, like, you're fucking useless. And I'm like, this kid is eight. Can you all calm down a little bit? Yes. And he, he gives as good as he gets, by the way, because he does call his mom a yes. dummy at one point. I'm like, bitch. Like, oh, yeah. Wow, Kevin. I, I will say, when we, when we were choosing movies for, for this theme for this year, I went into this thinking, well, Kevin McAllister is obviously going to be the Christmas asshole. <laughs> like that was my thought. It's like I'm going to take down Kevin McAllister. I'm yeah. taking down eight year old boy in a beloved family film, Christmas family <laughs> film. But then when I watched it, I'm like, mm, he's a precocious little dick. But it's because he grew up around all these fucking maniacs. Oh yeah, like th- that's that again goes back to like the idea that this family is too big. There are too, too many much. kids. Every brother has like five or six kids. What the fuck no. is this? Like, is this like? Sister Wives, the television show, like why there's so many fucking kids. Like when your when your family is so big that you have to give jobs to children, like important jobs to children, like, hey, maybe count and make sure everyone is in this fucking car. A child should not be doing that job. <laughs> yeah. It's like your family's too big. They're too big. Yeah. Too big, and Kevin was like the the little baby puppy that had to fight for every scrap, and now has like territorial food issues. Like it's like growling every time he get near its water bowl, because all of these other kids in their family are just picking on him all the time. And so of fucking- course he's calling his mom a dummy because he's just like, "Fuck it, this is how I had to survive." Exactly. He learned it by watching you. How the fuck else is he gonna crawl his way out from the bottom of that barrel? Yeah. I mean, oh to contend God. with Buzz and the Pete and Pete brother, they're both dicks to him. So And the sisters. The sisters yeah. are like also dicks in very different ways. So yeah, I feel like first Christmas asshole is the entire McAllister family. <laughs> <laughs> they have a tainted bloodline as you just ironed out for us. Chappaquiddick. Fucking Chappaquiddick <laughs> vibes. You know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Chappaquiddick plaid. <laughs> but I'll also say that in there's a world where this movie could have been very different. And in a modern sense, it could, I think that if were I to rewrite it, I would do it this way. I feel like there's a world where Kevin gets left behind. He goes to the cops. The cops call CPS. And then we have a movie where we try to watch this privileged white family try to wiggle its way out of the broken U.S. judicial system. <laughs> like, can we get Kevin out of foster care? 
it's a Christmas miracle if he can come home in time to open presents. Because we left him, and now we might not get to raise him. (laughs) That's so true. The police seemed 0% concerned that this kid is on his own. Oh, that that they are one of my Christmas assholes. I have three on the list of Christmas assholes. (laughs) So we're we're definitely going to get into it. And I think, just going back for a minute to why, like, the whole family could be viewed as assholes. I think that Buzz and, like, some of the... The, uh, the other brothers and cousins, there is a point where they're talking about the guy across the street, old man Marley. Mm. And they've decided that he's a fucking slayer, that he's killed people. Yeah. And I just want to say that I sincerely hope to become the kind of old person that kids make up stories about. Like, oh, she eats tree bark, or she lived on a pirate sh- ship, and that fucking Captain Phillips movie is actually based on her life. And she was the main villain, but then they had to make it a man because she cut a deal with the UN. Like, I just want some <laughs> weird shit out there <laughs> about me because I, I want kids to fear me as I age. Yo, it is all fun and games until one day you're the old man Marley. I fucking Thank think you. about that shit all the time. I'm like, I live alone in a weird country house. And I am sure there are kids that are like, don't go past that house after 7 p.m. because that's when the spirits come out and you get possessed. Exactly. This is why I don't put out Halloween candy, because I don't want to suddenly know that I'm the house kids avoid. Because, <laughs> like, we don't know her. And I'm like, I got lots of candy, kids. And the parents are, like, dragging them across the street. Like, nope, we don't know that motherfucker. There's the parents are going like, on with her. Don't take that candy. Don't take that candy. <laughs> She's got full-size Snickers. Nope. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. So that is my, my hope, is justice for old man Marley. It does come in the film... Yes. To a certain extent, but I fucking hated these kids on site for the way they treated this dude. A hundred percent. I fucking love OMM. Always have. Fucking, he brings the house down many at many points in the film when he yes. is allowed to talk. And <laughs> I love those, like, fucking, he's got those, like, industrial guy boots. Like, he looks like Fuck he's yeah. in Atari Teenage Riot or some shit with those boots. I come through, old man Marley. I love it. Keep being you, dude. Old man Marley is like, I shovel your fucking sidewalks. I make sure you don't slip and fall because I've been doing Chicago winters for 70 years. And your parents, this is the other thing. The parents are also assholes because you mean to tell me they've been living across the street from this man and they never introduced themselves. They never said hi. Yes. That fucking shit pisses me the fuck off. I'm like, Mm -hmm. bring him a fruitcake. Do something. He's salting the sidewalks for the whole fucking neighborhood. And he's clearly on his own. Like, why don't you be the fucking better people, McAllisters, and invite this old man over for Christmas? It's that bloodline. Again, it goes back to your original theory all the time. Fucking Chappaquiddick all all day. (laughs) So, yeah, I hated the family for so many reasons just in the first 20 minutes. First Christmas asshole, official Christmas asshole of Home Alone is Uncle Frank. For three specific reasons. Uncle Frank calls Kevin a little jerk because Kevin gets in a fight with Buzz in the kitchen when they're all eating their pizza and he spills milk and soda all over the table. And Uncle Frank calls him a little jerk with the vehemence of someone talking to an adult man. Like he's about to like cancel his mortgage because he cursed in his office. (laughs) He is so fucking mean to this he little is a kid. Mean, he is such a fucking prick. 
And then before that, you you know he's a prick because he doesn't even offer to pay for the pizza. His whole family, like 20 fucking kids are in this house, descending upon this house. He does not even offer to pay for the 12 pizzas that showed up. And his wife is even like, come on, Frank, like kick in. And he's like, no. Then when they're on the plane, he tries to steal the silverware. This is like, I can't with Uncle Frank. He's a (laughs) fucking asshole. (laughs) Uncle Frank is... My, one of my old coworkers, Eric, and I used to talk about guys like Uncle Frank. We used to call them shit hands. Because yeah. <laughs> they're, they're the guys that, like, come out of the bathroom and don't wash their hands. And then they shake the hands of other men. And it just transfers, like, ass, <gasps> ass juice from, like, men to men. And then there's there's somehow the heads of corporations or they're, like, in sales or something like that. And they're just, like, yes. giving firm handshakes with shitty hands Uncle Frank is a shit hand. He's a shit hand. He's a fucking typhoid Mary <laughs> shit hand. He's a fucking prick. He has no cheer, no joy. He's the kind of guy who like has all these kids but hates all of his kids. Uh-huh. Fuck Uncle Frank. Oh yeah. Fuck Uncle Frank for sure. He's the first Christmas asshole. Um now my second Christmas asshole. Cuz there are 3. Prim- mm. pr- primary ones. And again, not who you think. It's not Kevin. It's not the Wet Bandits. The second Christmas assholes in Home Alone are the parents. All of the parents. So Peter and Kate, Frank, everyone. Because they put all those fucking kids in coach while they flew first class. So they effectively made all those little fucking kids someone else's problem. Some poor fucking flight attendant had to deal with Buzz and his leering creepy shit. Had to deal with fucking pretentious ass sister who's like, you're in what they call lazy incompetent. Like, you think she's going to be nice to a fucking flight attendant? She's going to be like, server. I want a cranberry juice. Like, like all these little fucking pissant shitheads. Fuller's going to be pissing on seats and puking all over the place. <laughs> they just left these kids with no parental supervision in coach and yeah. made it a flight attendant's problem. Yeah. So, fuck them. Oh, ab- absolutely. And there is a moment where Kate actually, like, turns to Peter and is like, is it weird that we're in first class? And he's like, nope. Not at all. <laughs> They're having a fucking blast. Let's just... Fine dine, baby. And let me tell you, there is, there is a part of me that I, I understand the instinct of like, flying is hard, we're adults, we're stressed out. Being on a plane for a kid is always going to be a fun adventure, unless they're afraid of heights or have something else going on. But for the most part, base level, it's going to be fun. Let's just relax up here. However, you are shirking all of your parental duties for like a nine-hour fucking flight. Yeah. And I don't think you get to do that. I don't think you get to do that. Yeah. I mean, this is technically the 80s where basically kids were, I guess, still second-class citizens and no one gave a fuck about their happiness. But at the same time, just as a person, from person to person, like, have some respect and don't drop your kids off in coach for us to deal with, right? And also, maybe you would have noticed your fucking kid wasn't there if you were sitting with your kids on the goddamn plane, <laughs> maybe it would have caught on a little bit sooner if you were with them on the flight. Right. Oh, a hundred percent. That's something that I am just realizing as you said it. Like they would know that their kid was missing if they were sitting with them. Yeah. But. Yeah. So assholes, assholes, putting your own comfort above 
And really putting your own comfort above the experience that whatever flight attendant back there is having, because they are having the worst flight of their fucking lives with all those kids back there. The final true Christmas asshole in Home Alone for me is the police. Yes. So much to Kate's, so to Kate's credit, she tries to call as soon as she lands. There's a big storm that knocked out the power and the phone lines aren't really working. She does her best to try to get in contact with Kevin. When she can't call the house directly, she calls the cops, which I, I feel like is the natural thing to do. It made sense to me in the script. And the police, from the minute she calls, they're like, there's this hyper woman on the phone that I don't want to deal with. And they basically don't even want to listen to her. She's like, my child is home alone. And they're like, uh, that's for a different department. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what kind of? Like, they're just like, yeah, that ain't us. This is not a real emergency. And the cop even goes so far as to be like, is the child involved in like some criminal activity? And she's like, no, he's eight and he's alone at home. Like, can you literally not do anything? So first, assholes, because they're just passing her around the station. Like, nobody wants to deal with her. Second asshole move is when they do show up, they knock on the door, and that's it. They are so fucking lazy. They walk away from a kid alone in a house, a kid who has undoubtedly been taught not to answer the goddamn door for strangers. And they make zero fucking effort beyond that. There's no fucking battering ram. Like I've seen cops make more of an effort to enter a house to kill, this is so mean, but to kill innocent people than they have to try to get this child <laughs> to safety. They make zero effort. And the cop is pissed about it when he walks away, where he's just like, I don't even know why the fuck I'm here. There's nobody here. And I'm like, uh, or there's a child alone and dead in the house somewhere, and you're making no effort to find him or help him. Just zero effort, so fucking lazy. Do not, they don't want to listen to the parents. They don't want to hear Kate. They don't give a fuck. Because that was, that's where you naturally go in the film. Is like, oh, an eight-year-old kid probably taught to call the cops for help. And then you realize why he didn't do that. Because they're pieces of shit. And, yo, and this is a rich white people's neighborhood. They actually yeah. should care. Those people mm-hmm. probably, you know, are the only people that they should care about. And yet they still don't give a fuck. And it's during the holidays when they should be patrolled in the damn neighborhood because literally everybody in their neighborhood went out of town. Like, mm-hmm. no one is available. And a Rolodex of people, they can't find one person who is at home. None. And I'm just like, but you know what? Let me tell you something. If you would have fucking gotten old man Marley's phone number and been a good neighbor, he would have come and checked in on your fucking son. But since y'all are convinced that he's a fucking murderer, just saying. Look, that hit me so hard this time. Like that scene in the church where he's like, hey, you can say hi to me and I'm your neighbor and like has an actual conversation with Kevin. And I'm like, see, even now, you still won't say to this man, hey, by the way, I'm home by myself and I need some some help. He could have just been chilling with fucking old man Marley, looking at old pictures of fucking Ebbets Field or whatever. <laughs> or like, this is when we finally got stadium lights in. The- <laughs> in the- <laughs> like, they could have been having, like, this is the time I sat next to John Cusack at a game. Like, they could have been having a good old fucking time. Yeah. 
But even then, even when he finally thaws and is like, this guy's actually a nice old grandpa, he still doesn't ask him for help. Yeah. And this family doesn't even consider calling him. And instead, they rely on the police who give zero shits about this child. Zero shits about this child. They don't even come back. They're not even like, we'll come back later. Because Kevin is in and out of that house all fucking day. Oh, yeah. So if they'd even just, like, come back, they would have seen him walking with his groceries and walking, like, sawing half of a tree down to make a Christmas tree. And, like, they would have seen him. That's right. Fuck him. Three primary Christmas assholes in Home Alone. Sorry to ruin it for you. Hope I didn't. But next time you watch it, you won't be thinking about this shit. Well, I personally love it. I am so glad that you made this selection this year because it is truly a wealth of assholes for this Christmas movie. And I want to float one idea towards you. Yeah. I don't know. I am certain I'm probably not the only person that has thought about this. Hell, people of our generation, you know what they like to do. They like to get on the internet and fucking give all their damn theories about every fucking movie that we grew up with. So I promise you, I've not researched this. This is right off the dome. This viewing... I am convinced that Kevin was killed when he climbed the shelf in Buzz's room and fell down. (laughs) And that maybe (laughs) everything he experiences after this death is as an angel. Okay, you have rocked my fucking world. (laughs) And here's why. Sense shits. And here's why. A fucking tarantula tank fell on his head. Like, when he comes out of the rubble, when he comes out of the rubble of, like, seven or eight shelves of fucking bullshit, books, action figures, (laughs) he comes out underneath a plank. So when he was bludgeoned with one of the pieces of wood, but then the tarantula tank is right on top of it. I'm like... Yo, Kevin's young, unformed skull was mm-hmm. c- completely smashed by Buzz's tarantula tank. He died. He fucking died. And there's whatever is happening now, we're like through the looking glass. Like the, he he died in that. Oh, bedroom. this is a fever dream. <laughs> this is like on your way. This is what you see before you die. This is what Kevin envisions before he dies. My family left me alone and I died from their negligence. I fucking love it. This is the only theory that pans out for me from now on. <laughs> this is it. Because how else would he come up with these elaborate Rube Goldberg fucking pl- fucking pranks? Oh, yeah. For a kid who doesn't even know how to pack a suitcase when this movie starts. Oh, yeah. Like, he's a fucking angel pulling all this shit. There's no, there's no fucking way. Because... You know, basically, he went up the shelf because he had to get that money to Mm -hmm. go to the grocery store because he had to feed himself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he takes a tumble and that shit... Look at the shelves! All of that shit fell on top of him. He comes up from below planks of wood. And I don't know if you've ever had a fish tank in your house, but, like, those things are fucking heavy as fuck. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no way... There's no way he survives it. The planks are jagged when he falls. Like, they break in a way that it's like, there's definitely sharps all over the fucking ends of those things. (laughs) 
And look, I don't know shit about babies. I don't know when that fontanelle closes, but I feel like an eight-year-old skull probably still has a soft spot or two just floating around. Or at least is like small enough to not be able to bear the weight of like an adult skull. Uh, I am currently re-registering into grad school just so I can make my thesis this. If it hasn't already been somebody's thesis, I mean, I'm putting it out there. I think Kevin was murdered by a tarantula tank and exists in the rest of the movie as an angel. Just me. I want to see the documentary. I want to see the short (laughs) film. What's that Shining documentary that came out? The Room 246 or whatever? Let's, like, do a three-hour fucking conspiracy documentary about Home Alone. I will personally fund it like a fucking psycho. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I just had to put that out there and see what you thought. I just had to put it out there. My world is rocked. My world (laughs) is rocked. Oh, it's room 237. Thank you, Casey. (laughs) Because you don't get emails. It's not Frankenstein's. (laughs) It's Frankenstein's monster and it's room 237. We corrected it. Calm down, people. We corrected it. Jesus. Holy shit. Yeah, my world is fucking rocked. I can't. (laughs) I already had thoughts about this family that were taking me to dark places. The fact that this child is now, I think, is dead, this whole film. (laughs) Raises the fucking stakes. I can't. (laughs) We have put forth a lot of... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a lot of things and theories that people will hate us for. And I love it. I love that. I love to do it. I love that you picked it. I love you've created this entire mythology around the evil McAllister clan. I'm obsessed. <laughs> Look, it's where my head is. And I, I will take down a holiday classic because I'm a curmud- curmudgeonly old bitch right now. That's just <laughs> how it is. I'll take it down. Well, speaking of takedowns. Uh, hell yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Here goes my cinephile cred. Um, you want to talk about my movie now? Fuck yeah, I do. Okay. Or we could keep talking about Kevin McAllister being dead because I'm never getting over that shit. Shit. Maybe Kevin McAllister worked for the CIA. Who the fuck knows? Oh my God. Oh my God. He was part of it. <laughs> so. My movie for the theme, Christmas Assholes, was a movie that was made in 1975. The screenplay was by Lorenzo Semple Jr. and David Raphael, based on the book Six Days of the Condor by James Grady, directed by Sidney Pollock, and it's called Three Days of the Condor. Something has happened. Section 9, Department 17. The section's been hit. What level? What level? Level of damage. Everybody. Dr. Lapp, Janice, Ray, Harold, everybody is dead. I'm glad they cut these days in half. <laughs> I couldn't take six days of this of the condor. Shit. They looked at that script and was like, yep, gotta cut this by three days. <laughs> can't can't have a six day. Shit. What are we trying to make a mini-series? <laughs> what is this the fucking What was that Richard Chamberlain miniseries? The I wanna say the Thunderbirds. The Thorn- that is not the, it. The, the, the Thorbirds. Thorn- <laughs> Yeah. This one is just the fucking Thornbirds. We need less condor. <laughs> Cut the condor in half. Oh, shit. So, that you know, listen, I mean, this is very uh, less obvious than your selection, 
But this movie does take place during Christmas because okay. it we see Santa hats, Christmas trees, people are singing Christmas carols in the background, and that's all you need to make a Christmas movie, according to the internet and yeah, and the programming department at Turner Classic Movies. So, <laughs> um, so look, we so for this film, we again have the pairing of the director Sidney Pollock. And the actor, Robert Redford, they worked together several times. And we've talked about one of their movies before. It was a very Mm -hmm. early episode. We talked about The Way We Were. Very first uh, classic movie, Fuckboy episode. Mm -hmm. And I'll just say it right now. I am not sure Robert Redford's character is any more likable in Three Days of the Condor than he was as fucking Hubble, okay? Oh, first tip-off that he's not any more likable is that, and I know we'll talk about it, but his girlfriend gets murdered, and within a day, he's fucking Faye Dunaway. <laughs> God, we will talk about that for sure. And that's the thing, is that he's maybe slightly more sympathetic in Three Days of the Condor because his co-workers and his girlfriend are shot dead within the first 10 minutes of the movie. But that's the only thing that makes him sympathetic is that he's confused. He's a confused Hubble, yes. essentially. Yes. Because like, before that, it's all bravado and all fucking like, I'm king shit of fuck mountain. And then he comes <laughs> into a murder scene and he's like, mm, I'm confused. <laughs> Maybe feel bad for me. <laughs> Well, look, if you have only, if for some reason you have only listened to this podcast and you know very little of Robert Redford's career, we have only picked his least charming roles. And I <laughs> I have to apologize for that, okay? Like, we... <laughs> I vow in our third year of this podcast that we will have a theme where we apologize to Robert Redford. <laughs> yes. Like, we're going to have to do, like, the hot rock or, like, Sundance Kid or fucking Legal Eagles or something. We gotta make this right. We gotta make this right. Or maybe we don't. Maybe his career's <laughs> just out there. Find it on your own. It speaks for itself. Sometimes great actors make shit films and we're allowed to talk about how these characters are not great. And he also inflicted the Sundance catalog upon us. So maybe we don't get to talk about his good movies. Well, you know, and, like, we talked about him as a director when we did Ordinary People, okay? And, like, yes. he is a beloved actor. He, he's he been in so many films. He's, like, fucking Hollywood royalty at this point. But for some reason, we've only talked about films where he is an asshole in these roles. And I don't, like I said, I don't know why. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I don't want to be like, he's just a hot blonde. Fuck him. Well... The two things don't have to be mutually ex- exclusive. He can be yeah. a beloved actor who plays dicks. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And l- l- let me just get into the- this movie a little <laughs> bit because I'm going to... I don't even know what to say. I mean, it's sort of like... Three Days of the Condor is basically, at bare minimum, it's a tense thriller about people who work in the very secretive world of the CIA, okay? And if you're like me... There will be times in this movie where you'll be like, oh, wow, like, what a fascinating clandestine environment for a movie to happen in. Wow. And then there will be times where you're going to be like, I'm very confused about what's going on. <laughs> Who's the villain, exactly? <laughs> what? How does the CIA actually work? Okay, so 
Robert Redford plays this man named Joe Turner. His code name is Condor. And right out of the gate, I find myself confused by what his role is in the CIA and if it's an actual thing. Okay. Thank you. Forget, first of all, I forgive me up front for not knowing, I know nothing about the CIA. I think it's by what? design. I don't think they want us to know what they do. What? <laughs> you don't know anything about the CIA. I've been duped. I have no idea what how it works. Okay. So, so Condor in the film at the very beginning, he's working with this like small group of people at this place called the American Literary Historical Society. It's in New York City. Essentially, what it is is a front for this entire division of the CIA whose jobs it is to read books and newspapers and stuff to find possible ideas or codes or operations that maybe one of our enemies can use, like tucked inside the books. Yeah, I confused from the jump. I was like, huh? Because they're not code breakers. They're like reading books to see if there's even a code there. Yes. Code makers? Yeah. Like, they're the ones who are going to find out if, like, an enemy country of ours is taking the plot of Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, and using it to make crimes. (laughs) I mean, is this, like, a real thing? Is this a real CIA thing? Uh, is, is this what, <laughs> listen, not gonna lie. Is this what the Da Vinci Code is about? I don't know. I don't know. I I'm know. very stupid. No, I don't know either. And it, here's the thing. if it It's just absurd enough that it's probably true, but who knows? They probably just computerized all of it now. But like, we don't know, any, we don't know anything, about, anything about the CIA, so who knows? Yes. So already from Jump, I'm very confused by the job, by the whole organization. Okay, so... Essentially, and why have the front? Why have the front if nobody knows what it is anyway? Exactly, exactly. And so, when they, when you get behind the walls of this place, you see Condor and his coworkers, and they're just like feeding books into this like cartoonishly giant 1970s supercomputer. <laughs> I want that scanner so bad. Oh yeah, it's there's a lot of like old fucking funny tech in this movie. I love it. <laughs> So one afternoon, Condor goes out to lunch, literally goes out to lunch and comes back and everybody in the office has been shot fucking dead, okay? And again, because I don't know anything about the CIA, I'm like, oh, this is a CIA office. Already I question why it's the most easily breached building in all of government history. Like, yes, the back door is just open all the time and the front door is being guarded by an old lady who smokes cigarettes and like a mall cop, essentially. <laughs> like and the thing oh. that gets me is like, <laughs> Turner is so, this is such a low rent, low security system. <laughs> he doesn't even realize he's looking at dead bodies when he first gets in there. Like, he's part of the CAA and does not know what a dead body looks like because he's like, what the fuck's going on? Like, the door's open? I guess this is fine. Yeah, so, like, a f- uh, so he- professional hitmen got into this yeah. building, minimal security? I'm shocked. And this sets the entire film in motion, basically, where Condor comes in, everyone's dead. He realizes that somebody has hit... The- his whole department, and now he's being hunted by whoever is doing it or whoever had done it, Mm -hmm. right? And 
he immediately he reaches out to his bosses at the CIA to bring him home or whatever, and then quickly realizes, oh, they're sort of fucking in on it too. It's a very 70s movie scenario of like high key paranoia. Condor <laughs> is just having to watch his back. He can't trust anything or anyone. Very stressful. One of his managers is this guy named Higgins, and he's played by craggy hot royalty himself, Cliff Robertson. Maybe the most insane rug I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Am I right with this rug? I mean, look, I don't want to. I don't want to say. I don't know it's if so bad. I don't know if he was actually bald. Like, I don't know if the actor Cliff Robinson was actually bald and wore toupee, but like. Trump ain't got nothing on that this swoop. Let me just say that right now. Wigs in the 70s were shrugs to fucking funk. <laughs> They're like, I don't know, use beaver hair. Like, we don't, they that wasn't even human hair. They were like, we don't know. Like, let's use yarn and use some fucking Rapunzel-like, like spin some fucking shit into hair and try to make it look real. It was real nest-like. Oh, it yeah. was a nest-like endeavor. Absolutely nesty. And like, you know, Higgins, by the way, Definitely a Christmas asshole, no yep. doubt, no doubt. And funnily enough, Higgins is not even the top. Like, he seems to be the puppet of this even bigger fucking CIA baddie who's played by John Houseman of The Paper Chase. I feel like we bring him up, like, every other episode. John Houseman has been 90 years old since the day he was fucking born. Oh, yeah. And so... John Houseman's character and the Cliff Robertson character, they're all in on this. They've hired this freelance assassin to handle all of this killing. And I don't know why them calling him in the movie a freelance assassin is so funny to me. Like... It's awesome. Is he... Is he, like, following up on invoices like most freelancers I know? <laughs> like, <laughs> a freelance assassin sounds so fucking funny. Is he using HubDoc or Eversign <laughs> to keep those receipts? Like, I bought nine bullets. I used seven bullets, but you still have to pay me for nine bullets because I bought them for this job specifically. <laughs> Fucking itemize this shit. My travel includes walking creepily to this building, walking creepily to this car. I did five stakeouts for one dude. Like, come on. A freelance assassin. A freelance assassin. And... Listen, this freelance assassin, his his character's name is Jobert, and he's played by Max von Sydow, who looks like he's in a fucking Britpop band. I mean, anytime young Max von Sydow shows up, shit's about to get fucked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, he, you know, he's the type of assassin that works on miniatures in his spare time. It's like that kind of assassin that has a like weird never... hobby. He never takes a break. Even his hobbies are fucking stressful. Like, he never takes a fucking break. He's living in a Holiday Inn and he's painting fucking like little car <laughs> models. Like, fuck, dude. <laughs> Going freelance <laughs> is a bitch. Going freelance is a bitch. His hair, like his mustache and his skin are the same color. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird look, man. That's some Scandinavian shit. Um, <laughs> but look, you, if you think he's the last guy, no way. This whole thing goes up way far up the fucking Christmas asshole chain of command to this guy named Leonard Atwood who or orchestrated pretty much everything because <laughs> uh, I, I'm not giving away, by the way. I think it's impossible to give away anything in this movie because it's so convoluted. 
Yeah. So this Leonard Atwood guy is the mastermind behind all of these killings and all of this stalking, all this stuff, because apparently Condor, in his book scanning, accidentally uncovers some kind of secret CIA plot to overtake some, like, oil fields in the Middle East or something. And so that's why th this is all happening, because Condor filed some report <laughs> on some accidental... He accidentally stumbled upon this plan. All right. He did his job. That's the thing. He did his job and everyone got murdered for it. Yes, he just was seriously reading books and got people killed. And here's the thing. Condor is stressed out, but he eventually realizes that if he has any shot at staying alive in this scenario, he absolutely has to kidnap a random woman on the street <laughs> and force her to shelter and protect him. This is where shit gets, like, psychedelic am I taking LSD for me. <laughs> so, this is, the, this is the part of the movie that we will be talking a lot about, okay? So, Excellent. This random woman that he kidnaps on the street is named Kathy. She is played by Faye Dunaway. And this bitch was literally just on her way to go cross-country skiing with her boyfriend before she was kidnapped by Condor outside of a sporting goods store. <laughs> and Condor takes her at gunpoint and forces her to take him to her apartment, okay? And she is fucking terrified, okay? Like, it, to me, this is not an escapist fantasy of her being like, ooh, I'm getting caught up with this hot guy who's in the CIA for an afternoon. No, this is scary shit, like... Kathy is freaked out. Condor, even if it's like 70s Robert Redford, con like even if he's in a classic men's wool peacoat with the collar turned up and he's got fucking David Crush glasses and some turquoise necklace shit. Like, this is, that, that's, he ain't charming anybody with any of that. Like, she, he kidnapped a lady Damn. and she's scared fucking half to death in her own home. David so Koresh maybe Condor is a Christmas asshole, right? Maybe he definitely is a Christmas asshole. He fucked this woman's whole life up and gave her permanent lasting trauma because he couldn't figure out how to get on a Greyhound bus on his own. Like, let me put it to you this way. He has to tie her up anytime he leaves her apartment, okay? Mm. Which is harrowing, frankly. But then also, <laughs> this is like... Kathy is a photographer, apparently, and she's got, like, her photography up in her apartment. And within minutes of Condor being in her place, he's already, like, critiquing her photography, being like, wow, this is pretty sad and bleak. Like, who mm -hmm. fucking asked you, Condor? Like, seriously. You know what's sad and bleak? You kidnapped me from a sporting goods store <gasps> because you're in the CIA and can't figure out how to get to fucking Washington from New York. <laughs> That is sad and bleak to me. Why couldn't you just hijack a car? You know how easy it was to fucking hotwire a car in the 70s? There were no computer parts. Like, like now you can't hotwire a car unless you're a fucking MacGyver. <laughs> like, unless you have, like, a fucking PhD for, or, like, you have, you have to have, like, an MIT degree to hotwire a car. In the 70s, you just had to look at an engine and be like, boom, and it started. Exactly. Exactly. But oh my he, God, I hate him. He ropes this poor fucking woman into his scenario, okay? And listen, before any of you, like, 70s movie guys get on my case, like you fucking Tarantino guys get on my case for critiquing 
three days of the condor. I'm going to say, in my defense, a lot has been fucking said about this whole aspect to the film, including that one scene in Out of Sight, Steven Soderbergh's movie Out of Sight, where Jennifer Lopez and fucking George Clooney are in the trunk and they're talking about three days of the condor Mm -hmm. because I don't have to tell you, Condor and Kathy get together in an implausible amount of time, considering the circumstance, okay? And people, because of that, people are like, this entire romance subplot has killed the movie for me, and I have to say, they are correct, okay? Like, I don't need the romance, to be honest. Like, I feel like... And it doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense at any point. From the minute they hook up until the end of the film, their relationship does not make sense. Oh, yeah. Like, do we believe that Faye Dunaway's character would suddenly be turned on by a guy who basically forced her at gunpoint to take a nap with him? (laughs) Like, what the fuck? Listen, I don't want to yuck anyone's yum. I'm not going to kink shame anybody. (laughs) But that shit is not happening. She is not consensually napping with this motherfucker. And it doesn't just turn into like, hmm, it's kind of cute. Kind of cute. Forced me to take a nap with him at gunpoint. I'm kind of into him. Listen, and I have seen a lot of Karen Black movies. Okay, I this isn't even a Karen Black scenario where she's like this like kind of like experimental free sex hippie who's like, oh, cool, yeah, come to my apartment, complete stranger, and then we'll just like get together. No, 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 this is not that character. No. Like, the Kathy character is freaked the fuck out by this guy when she meets him, and then suddenly in like 10, 15 minutes, they're together. And... The way that Condor woos her finally is so, like, he just basically says, listen, I just need a couple hours where I'm not paranoid about something. Can we just have sex so I can relax for a second? I'm really stressed out. But also, and this is probably the prototype, how many fucking dudes in the early aughts have tried to pull that line? Oh, he is He is the living embodiment of just the tip. Fucking Joe Turner is the <laughs> living embodiment of let's just cuddle because I'm stressed out. Like, fuck. There's a feminist viewpoint to this film that needs to be considered, and I will not entertain anyone telling me that this is a plausible situation. Listen, J-Lo herself in Out of Sight is like, I ain't believe in this shit. No fucking way. And she was right. And listen, to that end, their sex scene is not good. Like, there are moments where I feel like Faye Dunaway is, like, glitching. Like, (laughs) I'm like, is this ecstasy? Is she in pain? Like, she is glitching like a motherfucker. It's so bizarre. real, like, 10,000-yard stares going on during that sex scene. (laughs) So, this deeply bizarre sex scene. And then, immediately after, she's all in on helping him in any way, including sneaking into CIA headquarters, confronting Higgins in a diner. Like, I'm like, okay, Seriously, did Condor use some kind of secret CAA mind control shit to digmatize her this quickly? Because how is this happening? How is any of this happening? Is he an MK12? Like, <laughs> it took Patty Hearst longer to get fucking Stockholm Syndromed. Yes. <laughs> the actual Stockholm Syndrome case took longer where those people were in that fucking bank. Like, it took them a long time to be like, oh, we feel bad for this guy. It took her m- minutes. And that, to me, is like, that does not... Um, I will say that the, the screenplay writers 
and the director possibly didn't consider their female character as a real fucking person. Yeah, it feels real shoehorned into this story, I have to say. And like I said, I don't need that. I don't need it to... I mean, like I said, I never read the book. I don't know if six days of the Condor, had we had the three extra days, perhaps we would have gotten a little bit more to this. But like, (laughs) as the movie is presented, you know, like, I'm just like, yes, all of the rest of the stuff is very stressful. And, you know, it's confusing at times, but I'm with you. I'll try to figure this out. But like, I don't need the romance. Like, you don't have to have this happen. And I and I, I I don't know. I will always feel that way. And maybe if I watch it again, I'll feel differently. But I'm just like, nah, miss me with this fucking weird, weird Kathy subplot, right? It's weird. But I have to say, so we've established the CIA is is completely filled with Christmas assholes. Let's just say it. Like everyone, even the good guys, Top the bad bottom. guys, like everyone is a Christmas asshole in the CIA. Hate to say it. And I will say this, despite what I feel about some of the plot stuff of Three Days of the Condor. Like, this movie is great to see, like, a 70s New York, as you and I both love. And again, fun to see all this giant tech, like, (laughs) it's like these giant computers, like, fucking real, like, Stanley Kubrick shit. Like, there are people in the the movie that are, like, talking to desktop computers like they're robots, and I'm like, what in the world? (laughs) Like... Just just the concept of booking time on the computer. Like, can I get on the computer today? <laughs> They're like, it's free at 2.30. And you're like, what? Yeah. And it's just like, it's just like, oh, Cliff Robertson's telling this like young guy on his ginormous like Apple computer and be like, enhance, enhance, enhance. And then you're just like, beep, 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 beep. Enhancing. That's <laughs> so dumb. I mean, but it's fun to watch, you know, for, like, all that shit. But, and also, I gotta be honest with you, like, that apartment, Faye Dunaway's apartment is so awesome. If we ever do great 70s apartments again, we gotta pick this one. She's got some great furniture, a lot of great books, and then she's got her bleak-ass photography, which Condor sort of likes. And I don't know. I mean, this was my choice this year. I feel like Three Days of the Condor is that thing where now it's kind of like the new Die Hard. It's like where people are like, we're going to shoehorn this into the Christmas mm-hmm. canon because we see one Christmas tree, which I think is very funny. But, you know. Right. That is very funny. Yeah. I'm in. But I'm as, down. as a movie, <laughs> like I said, like, rip up my cinephile card if you have to. But, like, this movie was always, like, presented to me, anyway, as this, like, very important 70s movie. Very... Mm -hmm. And it is tense. It is stressful. Is it a masterpiece? No. (laughs) No. You can create and rip up my cinephile card because, no, it's not a masterpiece. It's an interesting 70s movie that does not realistically consider women. (laughs) And therefore, I'm fucking out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like there's you can't have a masterpiece that leaves out the humanity of an entire character. Agreed, agreed. And ah, that is all I have for this week. Like I It's a banger. We have floated a lot of controversial opinions this week. We we want to give you something to think about because we're we're off for the next 2 weeks. So That's right. um we wanted to give you some time to be able to really disagree with us um 
and okay. you know to spend your holidays your spend the end of the year considering um our astute opinions yeah. about these Christmas classics. Go to your families, go to your most Uncle Frank ass relative and be like, I heard this lady on a podcast say that Three Days of the Condor was a bad movie and see what happens. <laughs> Film the reaction and then email it to us. That is the true crossover theme. Find your Uncle Frank in your family and discuss Three Days of the Condor being a bad movie. And that's that's the theme. That's the theme. Yeah. <laughs> And then he'll he'll be like looking at the camera at us, being like, "Look what you did, you little jerks." He'll call you a fucking jerk <laughs> <laughs> over your holiday ham. That's right. Well, listen, uh, we want you all to have a really good holiday, regardless if you do that or not. Like Daniel said, we are off for the next two weeks. We do actually have a bonus episode coming out on Thursday, the 22nd. So if you are a Wondery Plus subscriber, you will listen to that. Um, Yes. And then I think our next regular feed episode is not going to be released until January 10th of 2023. Um, so happy New Year. Do, yeah. Do you want to tell them the movies? Yeah, you can watch these over the next couple of weeks. Take your time with them if you want. Um, because our the first episode of the new year, uh, we will be discussing Crazy Stupid Love, which was released in 2011, and Can't Buy Me Love, which was released in 1987. Have you ever seen Crazy Stupid Love? I have not. So, ah, ah. Oh, that laugh! That evil laugh! (laughs) (laughs) I knew it! Oh, I can't wait to watch and then discuss these movies. So come on back. January 10th will be uh, when that episode is released. Um, And, you know, just Happy New Year. That's right. If you are uh, itching to chat, we are at isawwhatyoudidpod at gmail.com. Take some time to think of questions to send us uh, because next year we're going to have some great guests lined up and uh, we personally just love answering your your emails. Uh, we also have a P.O. box if you want to send us handwritten letters. You can find it on the link tree of our Instagram and our social media accounts are at ISawPod on Instagram and Twitter if it still exists. At the time of this recording, Twitter still exists. <laughs> God, that's so depressing. We have to make that little note. But listen, hey, you've seen this on our socials. We have merch. We have a new hoodie, which is super exciting. Um, We have Bargello kits. We have enamel pins, like whatever you need. Go to the I Saw What You Did section of the Exactly Right shop to find it. If you need, I think you're past the window of shipping for the holidays, but you know what? Like, it'll be there for you after the holidays if you want so use use the money you get for for new years or holiday celebrations and and get a new hoodie yes get a new hoodie for those cold winter months cuz you know january is a bitch so mhm well, listen, Danielle, as always, a fucking pleasure doing this podcast with you. I'm so happy to be doing this for a third year. So we are in it. We are happy to do it and Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Um, we'll see you in the new year, but I, I love doing this. I can't believe we get to just talk shit about the McAllister family and Three Days of the Condor for fun. It's great. Oh, it's so fun. And also, thank you to our producer, Casey O'Brien, who is the best, and we love him so much. So, happy holidays, oh. Casey. 
Casey's keeping us going strong, always. See you next year, everybody. Bye. This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced by Casey O'Brien. Mixed by Edson Choi. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Danielle Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ISawPod. And you can email us at ISawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit ExactlyRightStore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.